Welcome to De-Stress Your Business, the podcast where we show you how to get incredible results in your business without constant stress. I'm Alexis Kingsbury, a serial entrepreneur and founder at Air Manual, and I'm joined by my co-founder and co-host, Paddy Mann. Hey, Paddy. Good morning. It's, it's been a few episodes since we've, we've done this together, so I'm excited and particularly excited because today, this recording is our 100th episode. How amazing is that? <laughs> That's what I expected from Paddy, that level of enthusiasm. I'm ready to dance. Paddy's there ready to sit and smile. And I know <laughs> that it's like an arbitrary milestone. I get it, Paddy. Like, the fact that I thought it was a, a rhetorical question. I, I thought, you know, it was just to crack on and, and get going. But no. Uh, no, no, no pretty, I'm used to this. <laughs> it, it, it is pretty awesome. I'm, I'm really excited that we managed to get to 100. Marketing consistently isn't trivial. It's taken a real focus, a real love for what we're doing, what we're trying to do in terms of our mission, our vision, and living by our laws. So getting a load of the processes documented, systemized, and getting other people to help so that we're able to focus on delivering value and actually doing these episodes. Oh, I completely agree. And at this point, we should say a big thank you to the rest of our team and particularly uh, Jessica and Kangai for the support that they've put in week after week in following the processes and the checklist that we have to take the recordings that are done as part of, of recording it and then making sure that ends up edited and published and promoted and so on because that honestly would not happen if it was just us <laughs> responsible for doing it so firstly thank you uh, to them but yeah we thought you know what it's it is an arbitrary milestone doing 100th because there's no particular reason between difference between the 99th and the 101st and so on but to celebrate and enjoy the journey and do something a little bit special. We're going to look back at what we've learned from essentially the past 99 episodes. And to do that, we're going to share some of our team's favorite clips. They've put together a series of clips that they really liked from the, from the whole podcast. I'm really excited to share them with you. I'm really hoping that this episode becomes super useful for regular listeners to remind themselves of some of the key insights that they've gained but also perhaps to highlight specific episodes and guests that we've had that they might have missed that they want to tune into but also I hope that this should be a really great episode to share with others because this should be a ton of gold <laughs> that, that we, that's been compiled and so please do share it uh, and as a result if you're listening to this episode as the first one of ours that you've ever heard firstly welcome and if you like what you hear, we're scratching the surface. So please, please do check out our other episodes to get loads more value. Uh, but otherwise, Paddy, should we get started? Let's should we get into these clips. Yeah, let's do it. Fantastic. Well, in these clips, we're going to hear from Will Polston, Helen Tudor, Mike Michalowicz, Sanjeev Dodia, Melissa Kwan, Jordan Fleming, Robin Kennedy, Paul Avins. Penny Power OBE, our very own Paddy Man. Yes, you made the cut, Paddy, from <laughs> what the team put in. MC Lorbshire, Gerald Ratner, Ian Morgan, Clayton M. Coke, Stu Davidson, Kevin Appleby, Denise Duffield-Thomas, Danielle Mulvey, apparently I'm in there as well, Jason Greystone, Marianne Page, and Greg Head. So there we go. Lots of amazing people. Let's roll the clips. Negative emotions whether it's stress, overwhelm, frustration, depression, anxiety, unfulfillment, or any flavor of, of negative emotion, is simply a signal to think or act differently. That's it. 
That's it. It really is as simple as that. And if you don't like something, change it. And if you can't change it, you change the way you think about it. I was like, I am making it. Uh, and then we went to went into employer branding and I did some amazing work in that space, to be honest. Big in the employer branding space, working with big blue chip clients. And then it was like helping HR directors hire better people faster using Facebook ads. And it was three grand a month, 10 spaces available. So building up the agency that way. And I was incredibly miserable. Like I was so unhappy. Like I was making money, but I didn't enjoy it. I felt like I'd made myself a job. I thought it was normal and appropriate that, that we should be overwhelmed, that we should have feel constant stress. And it's when it all came crumbling down for me. I had built some businesses but they were a house of cards. I didn't even realize it. And they were not fiscally sound. They were so dependent on me working harder and longer that when that was no longer sustainable, I lost everything. And my daughter felt compelled to save us with her piggy bank. I, I had a wake up call and it wasn't in that, wasn't that second. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to figure this out. I, I went through depression and struggled, but back in reflection, we shouldn't need to be workaholics. We don't need to live check by check. We can have all this stuff. And in fact, we have a greater impact if we don't have the stress components. Find a way of getting super, super clear about what it is you want, what is important to you, both in life and in the business, because we only have one shot at this and we only have a short time. This is an address rehearsal. Get really clear about that and your purpose, because I think everything else can flow from that. Why am I doing this? What am I trying to achieve? What's the end I've got in mind? What strategies are available to me? What help do I need? What do I need to learn? What do I need to do differently? Get into that. Because I think if we get that right, foundationally, everything else comes out. And then people like me, people like you, we've got the framework, we've got the approaches, we've got the systems. You can get help in so many different ways once you get that clarity. My entire life is figuring out how do I work less and do more? How can I work more creatively and not work more? Because I actually don't believe that working more means you're more successful or more productive. It just means you're working more. We don't need to work more. We work enough. We need to work more creatively and automate what we can. It's probably a reaction against this notion of hustle culture that we seem to have now where where everybody is always flexing on just how much hours they're putting into the day as though it was by you working 10 hours more than me in a day that somehow is more valuable and my co-founders and i have a real intent on enjoying our life now i hear so many people particularly founders and people who are in this sort of hustle culture they're all it's always i'll be enjoying it when I'll, when I sell my business, that's, that's when I'm going to enjoy it. When I get this and when I get that. And I think that is just the wrong way to look at life in so many ways. In general, I work five hours a day. We still perform, travel all over the world, performing our shows because we love doing that. And partly because of the whole point of this podcast is that we've built our business to give us the freedom and flexibility to be able to have great businesses, make great money, but also be able to travel the world and earn money from performing, which is the thing that we would both feel a bit empty if we lost that from our lives. The reason we're here having this conversation on this podcast today is because I think we're in a world, it, we're a bunch of people who don't want to just keep filling the plate. So put a slice of that in for taking some time off and, and having and meaningful relationships and doing the things you want to do and the reason that you're in this game of being an entrepreneur anyway. Positive pressure is a good thing. As an entrepreneur, we need it to scale and to grow. If you're stressed because you're pushing outside your comfort zone, it's into the growth zone, 
that's not necessarily bad stress, it's positive stress. Mm -hmm. We need a level of stress to help us break down to shift our behavior because if it isn't uncomfortable enough, most of us don't change. Mm -hmm. So you're marketing it, you're selling it, you're making it, you're shipping it, you're invoicing it, and you're doing all of that, right? So now you're wearing six hats. And that's what's creating the stress because you're multitasking and trying to do everything. I'd let my health go. Health had been a really big kind of thing that I just sacrificed. The reality is actually it's the other way around. It's always health before wealth, but most people make that mistake of going the other way. That decision resulted in me um, having a serious asthma attack and overdosing on the blue inhalers, which I didn't know you could do, and you can. My wife called the ambulance, and by the time the ambulance got to me, I was in the bathroom, and they literally the paramedic walked in as I went into cardiac arrest. My heart stopped beating right in front of my wife, right in front of my son, and I was pretty convinced that that, that was it, game over. I was 41. And the feedback I was getting was, you've done it all wrong, and the price you pay for getting it all wrong is, you're out of the game, you're done, this is it. Which is a really, it's, it's a very odd experience to explain, but I think for me, I was just disappointed. I was disappointed I let it get that bad, I was disappointed I hadn't seen that that would be the outcome, and I was disappointed in all the things I wanted to do in my life that I hadn't got the chance to do. Thomas actually got cancer, and he was going through chemo. And I decided I need to have a little bit of a moment to look at this huge journey, which had not just the stress hadn't just started in 2012. It had been years right. leading up to that. Somebody had once said to me, it's not personal penny, it's just business. And I think that is just such an old fashioned way of looking at business. Thomas and I, for a long time, felt like unsuccessful people. We felt we'd lost our identity. We had failed and all of these very self-destructive words. But actually, when we looked at what is, what is our definition of success, it's not all about money. It's not one of my major drivers. I want a comfortable life and I wanted to educate my children well, and that takes enough money. But I'm not needing to show my wealth. I don't need wealth that is obvious or unnecessary. And I think a lot of us create more pressures on us through that. Of all the stress points as a leader, I think when you're screwed for cash, that is the biggest one. When you actually know you've got a runway that is running out of time and that if you don't get things right, you're going to cause some huge impact to the personal lives of your employees and yourself uh, and everything else. There is no bigger stress. So you want to systemize the improvements you're making and systemize the regular reviews so that you can avoid this happening again in the future. So that instead of having a cash flow issue, you've got a, you know, a big pile of cash in your bank account and you can weather any storm. With anything that affects your cash flow, if you are putting in these quick solutions, but not systemizing a way of reviewing it, of continuing to make sure the same improvements happen again and again, then you're literally throwing money away. You're going to greatly increase your chances of having similar cash flow issues in future, at which point you're gonna have a deja vu and you're gonna go back and make the same fixes. But while the fixes might work again, it's a bit late because you're gonna end up having to make uh, more rash decisions and uh, decisions that you didn't need to, that you could have avoided by being more proactive, by putting systems in place to protect yourself going forward. To get ahead of the crowd, you need to be efficient from a cash flow standpoint, and that could provide some liquidity and cash flow in your business to get you to plug through uh, a more challenging economy. There's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of chaotic things happening globally in our environment constantly. Yeah, I think being comfortable, being uncomfortable is going to serve everyone. If everybody's doing the same thing, there isn't enough money to go around for everybody. Somebody's going to be winners and losers, unfortunately, in everything. When we used to sell watches at the same price as everybody else, we got the same results as everybody else. Lousy. 
It was only when we started cutting the prices and doing it differently from everybody else that we were successful. It's easy to spend business money because there's lots more of it potentially. And then there becomes a problem to go, hang on, I've spent all the business money, I, now I can't get paid. It's a lot easier with money around to make some key decisions because sometimes you can buy your way out of a problem. But nobody wants to buy financial control because that's boring. Yeah, everybody mm. wants to buy financial freedom. It will be painful. Mm -hmm. It will be hell. But once you've got it all out there, all of, they're all open, all the debts are there, and you then basically sit down and calculate exactly how much you owe as a debtor, let's say. Yep. That's your first step to acknowledgement. Mm. I used to hang around with a chap who dealt in consumer debt or, 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 or individual debt. And he always used to say it was before he became a debt counselor, he was a drug and alcohol counselor. And one of the things in terms of drug and alcohol counseling is that you have to acknowledge that you've got a problem. Cash flow is like the blood within your body carrying oxygen and fresh blood to the parts that it needs to get to when it needs to get there. And so we need to keep it healthy. And sometimes like going to the doctor, we don't like going to the doctor or we don't, we neglect. So when we're fit and well, we can tend to get complacent and we tend to think everything's fine, but we don't always see what's going on underneath the hood, if you like. Mm. So it's constantly wanting to make sure that blood is flowing properly, that we're keeping ourselves fit, we're keeping our business fit and we're keeping the cash flow. I'm a great believer in the theory of constraints. We've got all of these bullish forecasts from the sales people, the marketing people. So, okay. Supposing we go down that journey, where do we next hit a constraint in this business that's going to stop us? Sales can be saying, fine, we're going to triple sales in the next three years. That's great in theory, but there will be something at some point that stops you tripling sales. Either you don't have production capacity if you're manufacturing. You don't have the infrastructure in some way if you're in an online business. There are going to be points in the journey that you're going to hit a constraint. Putting the budgets together, putting the plans together is knowing where those constraints are. I think what a common thing with business leaders is they say they haven't got enough time. That could be on the big strategic initiatives. And for many leaders, it's just getting any time to think about strategy and come out of the day to day and actually think, am I even going in the right direction? You have to find someone to start doing some of the work. The next hire, if you already have some employees that every business should have, if you don't have one currently, is a personal assistant. Uh, I'll go to audiences and say, who here has a personal assistant? And maybe a few hands go up and I say, okay, just so we have a good survey here, who does not have a personal assistant? And that's when 80 or 90% of the hands go up. I say, you are the personal assistant. I found my bookkeeping incredibly stressful and I hired somebody and she would say, just send me your receipts. And I'd be like, no, no, I'll clean it up first. And she was like, box them up, send it to me. It will be like Christmas for me. And then the first time I met with a financial advisor, we had a little baby at that stage. And I remember thinking, well, I'll go and change the baby and I'll let the men talk about money. And I just went, what? And I, can't, I couldn't believe that it came into my mind because the only reason why we're seeing a financial advisor is because my business was doing so well. And I remember in that moment, I said, Mark, can you go and change the baby? And I'll tell these guys about my business. And it really felt like this power move for me because I realized I had just, I had this identity that I wasn't good with numbers, which I'm not. Mm -hmm. I've got dyscalculia, which is dyslexia for numbers. And you can 
find people to help you with those things and help you manage money. And I just met with our financial advisor last week, actually, and it was really great because he's kind of our age and he's second generation. It's his dad's firm. And I was like, this is so cool. Like he was telling us about the markets and showing us these things. Like this is what's happening in America and this is where the lag will be in Australia. And I was like, you're a big freaking nerd and I love that I don't have to think about this and you can think about it and I don't have to. And it was very empowering, but I would have been incredibly intimidated by Mm. him even probably five years ago and not wanted to ask stupid questions. If you're paying someone 50,000, they should be producing $150,000 impact on the business. A five-star employee will do that a one, two, or three-star employee is going to just be collecting a paycheck. So why are you going to be paying someone that you're not getting a return on? Before we start looking at trying to bring someone in and identifying an A player, first, look at how you can put systems in place so that we can avoid the hire having to be an expert in everything whether it's documenting some of those as simple processes that they can follow, whether it's having metrics that make it really easy easy to know whether they're doing the right number of calls and things like that. And you don't have to rely on them so much to just be awesome all the time. This means that you can then start hiring for the key skills and the alignment with your company values. I know everyone talks about delegation nowadays, but I believe that if you don't master delegation, you'll never be free. Even if you won the lottery tomorrow, right? You cannot then go, oh, well, I'll just pay someone to book all my holidays. Well, you won't be able to because you haven't yeah. built a system for it, right? What do you like? Where do you like going? Yeah. What's your preference on the lounge? Yeah, you know, Because you've never taken the time to delegate that stuff. So you'll never be free. Someone will always tell you how to manage your money or spend your money. Delegation is like one of the best skills that you can master. I had heard those terms that you need to document and delegate. You can delegate and elevate. And it sounds lovely, but I wasn't making it work. I was spending three hours doing code reviews for someone I'd hired to be a developer. We worked out if we look at the specific pain points and document it in a way which means it's easy for him to refer to so that they can do the tasks which are causing pain and they can spot the things that you know normally tripping them up and avoid it then we can solve this we put in a review checklist where firstly i would be able to review and do it consistently then i handed it over to the developer to do it himself and I realized he could, the developer could be involved sooner in the process, getting more of the planning. And then he could be involved later in the process, supporting the UAT. Then I looked at management tasks. And eventually, I, I pulled myself out completely out of this team. It's about capturing your how-to guides, building it into a training system. Because systems only exist to make people's life easier. There is no other reason to have systems. They just oh. exist to make people's life easier, whether that's your life, your team's life, your customer's life. That's what it's about. When things go wrong, we need to assume it's a process problem, not a people problem first. So what I mean by that is when you've got that team member who makes a mistake and it's really expensive or frustrating or whatever, rather than reacting, ah, Janet, why didn't you do this? Instead, you need to be asking questions to identify what went wrong in the process that caused the problem. When somebody buys a company, they're not buying it to just get the employees in the code. They're buying it because they want to keep growing it, maybe sell it someday or get the profits from it. If a company's going to buy you because they're going to 
your company is going to keep growing, why wouldn't you stay and keep growing it? If your customers love your product and they buy more and they don't leave, this uh, flywheel can increase. That control is pretty fundamental to the, I would say, the success, but also the reasonable life that you can have as a practical founder growing uh, a business. It's all hard, but it doesn't have to be harder with bad stress than it needs to be. You can't go from uh, zero to we're going to fix every mistake tomorrow, but you should always be feeling that you are prioritizing some of these mistakes, some of these issues and taking the biggest ones. And your team, your company, everyone will feel so much better, not for knowing that that little annoyance that happened today got fixed immediately, but for knowing that you are continually to putting improvements in place. And that over time, you're layering those different improvements one above the other and making steady progress, making continuous improvement. Everyone on the planet just wants to do more of the one thing that they love doing. Like they want to move towards doing more and more of things that are all aligned in the same kind of area that they value the most. And for some people that might be family, for some people that might be traveling, for some people that might be some kind of hobby or, or whatever it might be. And we all just want to do more of what we want to do. And values change and I might want to do more music. And then values change down the line. I might want to do more of something else. I might want to spend more time on my fitness. But ultimately, we just want to do what we want to do. That's it. That is our mission in life, to be more at one, doing more of those things that we wake up and love doing right? I'm not religious, but that's heaven. It's waking up every day where you just love what you're doing. Awesome. So there we go. So Paddy, any immediate reaction to having seen those clips? It's, it's a wow. It's the consistency that we're hearing some of these key messages from people who have done it. Mm. And these messages about the impact it's had on their lives in massively significant and, and in many ways, terrible ways. So we've heard about people that have had breakdowns or depression or being miserable or feeling like they've lost their identity, letting their health go, an accidental overdose. And these these aren't coming from us hand-selecting people who have sub-stories to tell. Mm. Like, we are talking to business leaders, mentors, Penny Power, OBE, you know, recognized leaders who have done this for decades. And if you go and look on their LinkedIn or social network, you're going to see really positive messages and you're going to look up to them and go, wow, these guys and girls have made it. They are where I want to be. And yet it just takes a little digging, a little change of the question and the way we've angled it. And you, you hear that it's, it's been hard. It's been really, really hard. It's not the minority that have these difficult times. It is the vast, vast majority of us. And, that i don't know it's jaw dropping when you when you see it kind of aggregated in that way you always assume like as the entrepreneur you're always being optimistic you're always setting your eyes on how can i be like these guys are and then you see it in practice of course a lot of them are, are successful and are now very content and happy but being realistic about the, the difficulties that they've gone through is yeah just a huge huge takeaway and really important yeah i completely agree it reminds me of something that came up in the interview I did with Mike McCallowitz, where we talked about, you know, most people, unfortunately, tend to need that cardiac arrest moment, as we talked about it in the episode, before they make the change. And Paul Avens uh, talked about it as a lot of entrepreneurs, they need that 
that stress to encourage a change. And I think the opportunity is to identify those risks, to identify that pain early by being aware of that discomfort, that upset, that anxiety, so that mm -hmm. you put things in place that mean that it doesn't lead to the, the actual cardi cardiac arrest moment. Because I think it would be tempting to look at this and say, well, I'll just solve it when it does become a real problem. Like, you know, we all get through these things, right? What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I think, unfortunately, what we have also seen is examples where, firstly, it does kill you. And I know entrepreneurs who have committed suicide or their stress levels and health issues have got to the levels where they have died. We, we can't interview them. Um, so as a result, they're out of the sample size. But I think the other thing is that if you wait until it then happens, it's not just about health. It's not just about you. It's your relationships with others. Stu Davidson's interview comes to mind where he talked about, you know, he lost everything. He lost his house, but not just his house. The knock on impact was that he then lost his wife. And I've seen that loads across lots of business owners and business leaders who are working really hard, working all the crazy hours and their partners and family members do not appreciate it. The mass irony that you've got people that are working every hour of the day so they can create the perfect life for themselves and their family and they finish it and they haven't got a family. Yeah. It's, it's, it's oh, gut-wrenching stuff. Of course, the irony is been listening to like the CEOs of some of the unicorns out there, like Brian Chetsky at Airbnb on, on other podcasts. And He'll tell you that he's you know, really happy about the experience he's had. If you listen to it, he's had years where he basically said he's lonely. He doesn't yeah. ha have anyone to talk to. He's going through all the you know, depression and burnout symptoms and the rest of it. Luckily for him, he is a one in 100,000 entrepreneurs that actually got to that level of success that everyone else is shooting for. The people that we're speaking to are the top 1% or even 0.5% that have been there for 10, 15 years and are, in many cases, very successful. And yet the vast majority aren't going to get there, but they're going to have all the pain, all the stress, all the challenges around cash flow and relationships and the rest of it. And so it's something you've got to face. I literally was speaking at an event a couple of weeks ago where the top goal for this particular business owner was to reconnect with his children that he'd become disconnected and estranged from. And it's those kind of things that really become, as you say, gut-wrenching because that's the real impact of what we're talking about. And when we talk about systems and processes and so on, sometimes it'll be easy to look at them and go, oh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty boring, isn't it, systems and processes? And yet, I think that's where our passion comes from is like, but it's fundamentally, you're keeping people alive, you're keeping relationships going, you're creating happiness and so on. We'd been through our journey and we'd had a cardiac arrest moment and unfortunately it hadn't got to the, quite to the cardiac arrest because we were very proactive in nature, but we could see the warning signs. We could see that our wives weren't delighted with the way that things were going, that the evenings weren't going to, to last, that the friction that that would cause uh, with our children and, and so on would hurt. And inside work it was you know the relationships we had with our employees we were letting them down we weren't helping them to grow as individuals we weren't bringing the best out of them it was holding our own business back because we weren't able to work out the the solution but we worked out that and and by the time we've come to create our own company we're, we're very much in our own heads comfortable with 
what we've learned and why we prioritize the things we do. And so we're very clear that we want to reduce the unnecessary stress, the avoidable stress that is caused by ambiguity, by uncertainty, by avoidable conflict at work, by crappy handovers, by people having to work late because they're the only person in the company that do it. And we've seen how fixing each of those things makes a real huge impact. I remember reading a book called Bringing the Best Out of People that talks about eustress and de-stress. De-stress is bad, eustress is good. And you want that sense of difficulty and tackling big, bad problems that helps to elevate you and take your business to, to special places. But people really struggle to separate the two. And the ones that have been in the game a long time and have ultimately come out successful have, have worked it out. And the ones that at the start of the journey are still struggling with that. They're kind of going, I'm an entrepreneur. It's stressful. That's the nature of the game. This is what you have to do. You have to grind. You have to work hard and so on. And seeing how there's this separation has been really eye-opening to me and reminding myself that there's lots of good stress. And when we use the word stress, people don't necessarily see it as what we mean in terms of kind of de-stress, in terms of the avoidable, the negative areas. They see it as unavoidable and ultimately positive and it's an area i think where we still got learning to do about how how you introduce those concepts to people who haven't had their cardiac arrest moment haven't gone through it themselves and i remember we attended a, an event together um a few months ago and we were talking to people about the kind of stress and it was really interesting to see some people talking about working crazy hours and all these sorts of things as something that was either just accepted in what they're doing um, or even uh, required as part of what they're doing. And of course, the problem is it's it's like it's true and it's not. Um, it's a little bit like I see a lot of social media posts, etc., from the likes of like Alex Hormozy and Gary Vaynerchuk and Daniel Priestley about this concept of having to put in lots of hours. And in fairness to Daniel Priestley, he's often talking about it in in the early days. And he's, I think he's trying to emphasize that sometimes the risk is that you look at someone who's you know, on the beach or on the yacht or whatever and be like, oh, well, can I just do that immediately? And it's like, well, no, they've, they've got to that point. They've put the things in place. But I really don't like seeing this concept of hustling. And I think Jordan talked about it in his clip, you know, this concept of hustling and working crazy hours. And I think Jordan says flexing on the basis of of crazy work as being not only seen as this positive thing that if you're a really good entrepreneur, you work hard and it's, there's lots of benefits of working hard. And, and, and I get that. And it's, it's quite, it's nuanced, but at the same time, I see the opposite problem. I don't see lots of business leaders who are lazy and feeling entitled and feeling like, oh, why could I watch Netflix 12 hours a day? Why can't I just do five hours and suddenly get those results? That's not the problem I'm seeing. I'm seeing people who are working hard, applying their brains, are willing to sacrifice and yet hitting these issues. And I think when you've got that space in your brain, when you're healthy, when you're feeling fulfilled, the impact you're able to have is so much more. And I think that's probably been one of the biggest things for me is realizing 
how much of a knock-on impact this isn't just about enjoying the journey it's that you can have a greater impact on the world when you're in a much better place emotionally or in your cash flow so that you're not having to uh, react too short term or work on a short fuse or whatever you can you can be zen you can deal with these things you can think long term and i think that comes down to ultimately not working at a constantly high level of stress it's not a kind marketplace out there the cost of everything has skyrocketed whether that's your mortgage or your uh, electricity or anything else and businesses in many sectors are having to downsize and, and let people go again and there's real danger of a recession going on so in those times how do you manage how do you succeed putting those systems in place it's really helpful to us as individuals for managing our own lives freeing up our own time but it also multiplies what you can do within a business with minimal resource and it's something that we're used to doing because we are bootstrapped we're looking to grow our businesses with limited resource we're looking to bring the best out of every employee but i think there's a real potential and lessons that people can learn by putting these things into place there's so much value it's a value for your lives it's value for the employees lives but because you're so much more productive you actually need less people to get the same level of impact and that's something that i'm seeing is a big challenge that a lot of businesses are facing right now how do we how do you do more with less how do you keep your uh, wallet in your pocket because you're not going to get the next round of funding because you're got less customers that are going to be purchasing from you last year because you're having to downsize and the impact that you can have is huge on all three fronts i guess final reflection is it's been a, a really powerful medium for us to have really eye-opening conversations and discover stories that are helpful for us to shape our own thinking helpful for our customers to see what's possible and the challenges that others are facing that's helpful for a much wider audience to think about where the challenges are and pragmatic ways of of, of solving them and so I'm, I'm so glad that we've done the first 100 episodes and uh, i think it's a a really positive moment to to celebrate that and to to look forward to the to the next hundred and and beyond so yeah yeah here's to that 100 percent agree well thank you paddy and thank you everyone for joining us for this special episode i hope you found it inspiring and useful and please 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 share it with others if you wanted me to beg you you've got it <laughs> we're not professional podcasters we are business owners we earn no income from doing these episodes. We don't take sponsorship or have advertising income or have a TV station that are willing to pay us to do these on, a, on some kind of advance. We don't have paying subscribers on a Patreon or anything like that. All we ask is that you subscribe for free and that you share this episode with others. Thank you in advance for doing that. And otherwise, of course, until next time, have fun.